0: This is the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Well, it's great to have you back for another episode of the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Today, we are going to look at part two of an idea called institutionalizing urgency. If you haven't listened to last month's, I'd recommend that you listen to that one first. Because we're building on some ideas from last month and talking about an idea that I really believe is important for every organization. I wanna say a very sincere thank you to those of you who are helping get the word out on social media. I love seeing quotes, and many of you are posting the link and trying to uh, expose uh, others to the podcast. And I wanna tell you thank you for this. Uh, You can listen or watch in many different formats. Uh, I'd love to invite you to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't done that. You can watch on YouTube. You can also watch or listen at life.church slash leadership podcast. Thank you for leaving a review, and also thank you for the comments and questions we're getting from a lot of you. At any time, if you want to ask a question or have any kind of comment or suggestion or an idea uh, for a theme you want to hear covered, you can write me at leadership at life.church, leadership at life.church. And then at the end of the teaching today, Uh, what I'm going to do is offer some questions for you. I think that just hearing content uh, is one thing, but actually drilling down and finding application of how we can put it to use is so much better. So I'll answer a couple of questions that came in last month, and then we'll dive into some teaching, and then I'll put some questions back for you or your team to uh, wrestle with. Uh, Manuel wrote in and asked this question. Manuel, Uh, ask, how do you overcome problems where there are employees who don't seem to care due to a lack of interest or motivation? Uh, Manuel, we actually had a lot of people ask similar questions. What do you do with an unmotivated team member? How do you motivate people and such? Um, And I want to start by kind of redefining our mindset about people. And we have to recognize that everyone is actually motivated. People may not be motivated to do the things that we want them to be motivated to do, but everyone is motivated and everyone cares about something. They may be motivated to do nothing, but they're motivated. they people uh, people care, and there's always there's always a motive behind their actions or inactions. Uh, they might be motivated to let you do their job for them, but they are motivated. And so if we start with understanding that they are motivated and they do care about something, That will help us tap into um, the things that will drive them to do the right things. That's one of the reasons why, and we'll talk about this again and again, that the why matters more than we can ever adequately describe. Helping people see why what they do matters is so, 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 so important. And so I've got four big thoughts and then I actually hope that today's teaching manual will help as well. Um, Number one, we need to help them see why their work matters. Number two, we need to help them uh, understand how their lack of effort impact impacts others. And this is really important. So when they don't do their job, when they don't care, when they're not on time, when they have a bad attitude, when they do something halfway, we need to actually show them the cost of their actions or inactions. This is how it makes us look. This is how it makes so and so feel, this is how it negatively impacts the team and help them understand how their actions impact others. Number three, we need to help them feel valued when they do the right things. In fact, um, I'll probably talk at some point, do a whole talk or two on creating a culture of, of appreciation. A lot of times people stop caring because they don't feel like anyone else cares. And so when they do right, we wanna catch them doing right and, and shower appreciation on them. And then number four, and this is important, if they never plug in, if they never really tap in and become motivated to do the right things, then we need to help them find another place to use their gifts. And that's a polite way of saying, maybe move them somewhere else on the team, or honestly, if they're never motivated, we've done everything we can, then we move them out of the organization because we care too much about the end goal to let one unmotivated team member hurt morale and bring everybody down. Um, Next question came from John. John asked, how do I find and develop those individuals with organizational drive and avoid those with personal ambition? Great question, let me say it again in case you missed it. Very good question, John. How do I find and develop those individual, individuals with organizational drive and avoid those with personal ambition? Uh, here's what we want on our teams. We want people with passion and drive more than personal ambition, why? Because passion leads toward the mission, ambition leads toward personal success think about it. Passion says, I want what's best for my organization. Ambition says, I want what's best for me. And so one of the things we can do is we, we watch for language. If they're leading toward the mission, their language will say things like we and us and our. If they're leading toward themselves, it might be more like me, my, I, and this is what I want. And And the only way I can say it is this, that some people will actually undermine the mission or undermine others if it helps them get ahead. They they, may quietly be loyal to, to something just to help them find some sort of success. Here's the problem. Those who end up leading toward themselves eventually limit themselves. Over time, they will never be highly promoted over and over and over again because people are going to recognize they're in for themselves, not in for the whole organization. Over time, if they lead toward themselves, they'll eventually limit themselves. But those who lead toward the mission end up succeeding. When you find somebody who's got more personal ambition, more than they have missional drive, this can be at times corrected. Here's a problem. Sometimes they don't even know they're doing it. Maybe they came from a different culture, different organization where this was just the norm. It is in many places. It's not tolerable in our organizations. We're not going to tolerate it. But in other organizations, that's just where it is. It's always cutthroat. And it's all about me, 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 me. What we want to do is drive the values that we're not about our own success. We're about the mission. When our mission succeeds, we all succeed. Recognize early, call it out. Um, If you see personal ambition, just explain it. Hey, we're not here trying to push ourselves forward. We push the mission forward. When, when the mission succeeds, we all succeed. So call it, bring correction, and hopefully you can make, um, make an average, more self-focused team player into a great other-focused, mission-oriented team player. Okay, let's review last week, and um, then we're gonna d- dive into new teaching. Uh, last week, we did part one of institutionalizing a culture of, of urgency, this is super, super important because if we urgently do the right things, we're gonna start to see success. We love that, hope you're incredibly successful. The problem is this, the greatest threat to future success is current success. The moment we think we know what we're doing, the moment we think we are good, the moment we think we have it all figured out is the moment that we become vulnerable. Here's the problem, success feeds pride Pride kills urgency, nothing fails like success. Uh, Last week we covered this and it's really important to cover again. In any organization over time, urgency is not the default mode, complacency is. Urgency is not the default mode over time, it's complacency, we wanna be comfortable. The problem with complacency is it's difficult to see in the mirror. If you're complacent, it's likely that you don't know it. So last week we talked about declaring war on complacency. We cannot change what we're willing to tolerate. Uh, The big thoughts were these. We we looked at a little formula. Outside opposition plus divine calling plus limited time equals sustained urgency. How, How do we create sustained urgency? We need three things. Outside opposition, which we all have. A divine calling, which you have, plus limited time, a reality for all of us. When we have an awareness that these things are going on, we will live with sustained urgency. We covered two thoughts last week. Number one, we talked about embodying healthy skepticism because all success is temporary. What works today may not work tomorrow. And we talked about what outside forces could end up hindering our success. Number two, we talked about attacking, not yakking, okay? As your organization grows, Movement naturally slows. As your organization ages, we move from leading with a bias to action to leading with a bias for discussion. We wanna have meetings and do studies and write charts and graphs and talk about it and analyze it and consider it. And we're not gonna do that. We're gonna lead with a bias toward action. Our goal though is not activity, it's productivity. We can be active, but not productive. We don't want frenetic activity, we want focused activity. Institutionalizing urgency in the culture. Number one, embody healthy skepticism. Number two, attack, don't yak. Number three and four, this is new content for the week. Number three, we're going to pursue continual discomfort. We're going to pursue continual discomfort as a leader I wanna put myself into places where I don't necessarily know how to get it done, where I need to grow, where I'm gonna stretch myself. Why do I wanna do this? Because comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort is the enemy of progress. We all like comfort, right? Comfort zones are comfortable, why? Because they're familiar, not because they're healthy. What I wanna do as a leader is I wanna find comfort being uncomfortable. I wanna find comfort being uncomfortable. If I'm comfortable, then I'm uncomfortable because I I know I'm not gonna be growing. If I'm uncomfortable, okay, good, this is where I need to be. I can be stretched here, I can learn here, I can grow here. Why do I need to be uncomfortable? Because growth and comfort never coexist. Growth and comfort never coexist. So as a leader, I need a stretch goal, okay? As a team, I need my team to wake up every morning with some specific, defined, achievable goal that's gonna push us to drive with a sense of urgency. Why do I need this? It needs to be outside of my comfort zone because true success begins at the end of your comfort zone. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. You need something that challenges you. I had a staff member who said, okay, I wanna, I'm gonna invite someone to church once a month. Well, then he thought, this is stupid. He said, I'm gonna invite someone to church once a week. Okay, that's stretching him a little bit. Then he said, you know what? Every single day, every single day, I'm gonna put myself in an environment around people that I don't know, develop some sort of relationship, and invite at least one person every single day to church. That's a stretch goal that puts him in an uncomfortable place and he has story after story about how he's grown because of that. So here's what we want. We want some specific target. This is what our team is working on. The goal is specific, it's measurable, it is defined. It is specific, okay? We know exactly what we're trying to do. It's measurable, we, we can accurately measure it and declare. We hit it, we won, we knocked it out, we killed it. Ah, oh, we were just short, okay? But we can measure it and, and it's, it's defined. We're gonna do this by such and such time. Your goal, your dream, your plan, it does not have to be perfect. Just come up with one, something to stretch you. I tell our team that an average plan implemented today is better than a great plan implemented a month from now. Just get on something, get a plan, work it, move, attack take names and and move the ball forward. In fact, one of my favorite stories about this is we have different churches in different cities. And we know based on the number of people coming on a weekend about what percentage should be engaged in small groups. And we had one particular church where the percentage was low. And so I was in a meeting with the the pastor and said, hey, how many groups do you need to start? And he's like, oh man, well, we need to start, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe 75 groups this year. And I just you know looked at him and said, do you think you'll do that? And he's like, yeah, B, I think so. And I said, I don't think you will because 75 is probably too many to start. And you just told me you'll do it in the next year. You're not gonna be focused about this six months from now. Nobody stays that focused. Just lower the number and shorten the time frame. And he said, well, I think we can do 50 in six months. I'm like, nah, I don't know and i kept pushing him a little bit till finally he said i think we can do 22 groups in 22 days i was like okay bingo that's it that's short time frame it's very specific it's an odd number it's memorable then i said what are you going to do to celebrate and he said well every time we start a group we're going to blow a horn I like i thought that was a crazy idea but anyway blow your horn if that's what you want okay and so they said you know they went back and their team got rally, rallied around this 22 groups in 22 days, guess what they did? They started 22 groups in 11 days, why? Because it was specific, it was measurable, it was defined, then in 11 days, guess what? That team had a win. We just won. We moved the ball forward, and there was a sense of of the right kind of pride. There was a sense of the right kind of momentum. A hundred groups in a year probably would never happen. They're never gonna stay that focused. We want a stretch goal. It's something short, specific, and measurable. Uh, On our teams, we've been, in in the church world, we've talked about this kind of thing. One one church said, we're gonna average, uh, we're gonna double the number of people engaged Um, serving by the end of June, okay, I like that. We're gonna double the number of people, that's specific, double, the number of people serving by June. Another group said, we're going to um, double the number of life groups by the first week of September, okay? These are specific and measurable. So take any area of your life and attack it with a goal. I don't care what it is, if it's spiritual, you know, I'm gonna pray daily for at least 10 things and write them all down. I'm going to journal for 20 minutes a day. It might mean I'm, I'm gonna lose um, 20 pounds by August the 1st. I'm gonna re- recruit and train 15 people by August the 1st. I'm gonna read one book every month between now and the end of the year. I'm gonna have one leadership development conversation every day where I'm investing in someone else or they're investing in me. I'm gonna pay off $300 debt every single month, whatever it is, write it down, be specific. And what we're gonna do is we are gonna pursue continual discomfort. We cannot grow when we are comfortable. And so when we wake up with this goal, this carrot's out in front of us, guess what? I've gotta urgently do something today in order to reach that goal. So, what are we gonna do? Number one, embody healthy skepticism. Number two, attack, don't yak. Number three, pursue continual discomfort. And number four, how do we keep urgency alive in our organization? Number four, we are going to get emotional. We're gonna get emotional, why? Because facts don't move people to action. Emotion invokes action. Facts don't move people. Don't give me statistics. Well, this number of people and blah, 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 blah. Stories create emotion. Facts don't move people. Emotion invokes action. That's why great leaders, not only, they don't just went over the minds of people, they went over the hearts and the minds. In fact, Martin Luther King, um, in his famous speech, what did he say? I have a dream, okay? What did he not say? I have a strategic plan, okay? A strategic plan would be wise, but a dream captures the hearts, the minds, and the imaginations of people of what could be possible. We have a a staff member who uh, leads one of our churches and we, we were doing an interview and it was down to him and one other candidate. And we said, you know, why you? I mean, we can't, why you? And I never will forget, but this guy, years and years ago, he leans back and he pounds his fist on the table, Boom, he's a big guy, played college football. And the table shakes and he started crying. He said, I'll tell you why. Because seven years ago when I walked into the church, I came in and my life was completely changed and no one cares more than I and him. Tears are coming down and passion exudes from every, I mean, he's got veins popping out that just saying, I love this place. T's crying, we're all crying like, ah, I think all things equal, I'm going with that guy. Why? There was emotion, it moved us deeply. I um, was in uh, Tulsa where um, one of my daughters used to actually work, it's in a different city, and I met two of the people that are interning for um, our our church right now. One was a girl who um, was a complete atheist and someone hooked her up with a teaching I did called The Christian Atheist, and her life was totally changed. She moved from Phoenix all the way to Tulsa um, to be a part of our, our team. Um, another girl, drew, someone, she was not a, a, follower of Jesus. Someone, um, drove her an hour and 15 minutes, invited her to one of our churches down in, uh, um, Keller, Texas. And her life was so changed, 19 year old girl, she picks up and moves, uh, three and a half hours away to be an intern. Okay. That, that makes me so emotional. I cannot see straight to think about lives being changed like that from, Uh, That that makes me so emotional. When I think about those stories, I cannot help but get up, do my job with intensity and a sense of urgency in all that I do. Why? Because there is outside opposition. I have a divine calling. I've got a limited amount of time. And so I wake up every single day with a sense of urgency. Now, if you'll let me, I'll get a little bit personal and then I'll um, give some questions to you. Uh, This is what I do in my morning routine. Before I ever come into the office, I go in my home, I have a little little small office, and on the wall, I've got a picture of um, when I got to meet a hero to me, uh, the greatest evangelist in my lifetime and, and probably 2,000 years since the Apostle Paul when I got to meet uh, Billy Graham. And uh, I know that as of the time of this podcast, Billy is mostly alone um, in his place and is gonna die. And I, And I, I remember being with this man that's just a hero to me, and watching him frail and weak. And, and I look at the picture and I tell myself, death is no respecter of persons, okay? One of the greatest men who've ever lived will die very, very soon. And I just recognize, you know, if I, prob- I probably won't live that long, he's in his 90s, okay? I'll be blessed if I do. That, that it, it tells me every day counts, every day matters, every day matters, that's gonna be me before no time, and I, I'll no longer be on this earth. And that, that gives me a sense of urgency. Then what I do, and this is really personal, I debated this, whether to share this publicly, but I'll share part of it. I read through a list of personal declarations. And what this does is it creates in me a sense of urgency. And I read this aloud every day. These are a few of them, not all of them. Uh, Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife, Amy, and I will lay down my life to serve her. My children will love God and serve him with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, empower them to do more for his kingdom than they can imagine. I love people and believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day. Because of Christ, my family is closer, my body is stronger, my faith is deeper, my leadership is sharper. My preaching is powerful because God's word is alive and I'm gifted by God to communicate his life-changing truth. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I develop leaders. It's not something I do. It's who I am. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. I love my job. It's more than a job. It's a calling. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. I am not a victim of circumstances. I am gifted to create, lead, and change circumstances from what they are to what they could be. I bring my best and then some. It's what I bring after I do my best that makes the difference. The world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today. Every day I wake up and I, and I confess those things aloud. And what it does is it creates a divine sense of urgency inside of me. What I do I believe matters in eternity and therefore I will do it urgency, with urgency in everything I do. Complacency is the default mode. I will not succumb to a complacent attitude. I will lead with urgency and you can as well. Three questions to apply. Number one, what is a current stretch goal that drives you to lead with urgency? What is a current stretch goal that drives you to lead with urgency? If you don't have a stretch goal, you are probably more complacent than you are urgent. Must be specific measurable, achievable. If you don't have any stretch goals, you are on the way to leading with a complacent mindset. Number two, what are three things you can do to deepen your emotional connection to your work or ministry? What are three things you can do to deepen your emotional connection to your work or ministry? If it's just a job, you're gonna treat it like a job. If it's a calling, there's gonna be a sense of passion and urgency in all you do. Number three, What do you say to yourself each morning before your day starts? Are you happy with your inner dialogue? If not, what are you gonna do about it? Let me ask it again. What do you say to yourself each morning before you start your day? Are you happy with your inner dialogue? If not, what are you gonna do about it? Do you say this? This is gonna be a tough day. This is gonna be a crazy day. I'm so sick of my job. My job is so monotonous. I can't stand the people I work with. Or do you say, I love what I get to do. Today is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna make a difference in a lot of people's lives today. I can't believe I get to do this. What you say to yourself matters. Most most battles are won or lost in the mind, okay? Apply these questions and wake up every day and lead with urgency because what you do matters. If you are a leader, you have the ability to influence people. And if you influence people, you can change the world. Thank you again for listening. Uh, The talk notes with all the questions are available at life.church slash leadership podcast. You can also find them at craigrochellebooks.com. Again, thank you for telling people about this. I hope it's helpful to you. And remember, as a leader, be yourself. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to always be right people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. Thanks for tuning in to the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. If you're enjoying what you're learning, please show your support by subscribing and reviewing on iTunes. And if you want to find discussion questions or show notes, just go to life.church/leadershippodcast. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast.